Hello and welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. For this episode, our guest is Jake Lubeck, a former Grapeseed teacher and coach who is now on the curriculum team. We'll be opening the box of Unit 3, going through each teaching component and discussing things you should keep in mind as you teach Unit 3 in your own classrooms. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Adam, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to get into this unit. Yeah, I like Unit 3 too. Let's get right into it and open the box. First, we have the song, Hello, How Are You? We all know what the idea is behind this component and what we want the kids to do, right? Responding to that, hello, how are you? And as they grow in that, we want them to have opportunities to not only practice with us, if we ask as a teacher, but with each other. So one way I, I know a lot of teachers have found useful is actually before class, when they're lining up, have them line up in two lines and you can kind of pair them up. So they're side by side and have one student ask, hello, how are you? And the other student can respond and then repeat the process from the other side of the line. And this just gets them used to using the language with friends rather than thinking this is something they only use when they answer a teacher. Excellent point. I like that idea to pair up students, especially as you're coming into the class, because you can use it here in Hello, How Are You? But you can use it later on in other units for a variety of different things. And starting out your class with students in lines is good for classroom management. And if you're getting them speaking, it sets a nice tone for the classroom of encouraging students to output. Another thing to note about this song, especially because it's a song about greetings and it has the answer, I'm fine, thank you. Any English teacher who has either taught grapeseed or taught other curricula, especially in Asia, we really want to get our students out of this rote response of I'm fine, thank you when they're asked, how are you? So what you can do as the teacher in early exposures is even after you sing this song, you can talk about how you are that day and use a little different language every time. So you can talk about how you're hungry or happy or angry or sad. And these are words that students haven't had quite yet in grapeseed, but it's good for them to know so they can be able to answer how they feel really when they're asked after this material is done. Yes, that's a, a great point. I think it's really easy for us to kind of ask students and they give us a robotic answer of that. I'm fine. Thank you and you, and we think, wow, why, why are they doing that? But if that's all they know or they've seen in the, that language in the song, then of course that's what they're going to do. So it's a really good idea to, to broaden their horizons. Yeah, and of course we don't want to keep adding a whole lot of vocabulary to our lessons. We want to trust in the lesson plan and the curriculum design. But here's one of those special cases where injecting a few extra words like happy, sad, angry, hungry – will really help your students and encourage them to output and to say answers true to themselves. Let's move on to Colors Everywhere. So this song is almost like a normal song mixed with the activity posters that we had in Unit 2. So you have the main song card and then a few different cards with different colored objects on them. So you want to pay close attention to the directions in your lesson plan for which cards to use on a given day and what specific questions to ask. In general, though, it's helpful to know that by the end of the unit, we want students answering in full sentences like, the chair is red. So even in early exposures, if you're asking your students what color things are and your students are only answering in one-word answers, that's fine for early exposures. But even after they say those things in early exposures, you want to model the full sentence answer of what color the object is to help set them up for success in the future. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And I think even adding on to that, 
it can be very useful when you have time or when it calls for in the lesson plan to provide props as well. So part of that being, you know, they have a lot of those images in those four cards that they can use to look at and, you know, say the ant is black or those things. But being able to look at the white shirt that's hanging up on one of the cards, but then also look and see that, you know, shirts aren't just always white, but look, someone else is wearing this type of shirt can be very helpful as they start to be able to describe the things that are around them. Yeah, if we're going to talk about what color things are, if we just think about the two units we've already taught, we have so much language to pull from. We have all the animals from unit one. We have all the clothing from unit two. There's just a lot of stuff we can use as props or realia in the classroom to really drive this expression and how it's constructed home. Exactly. Great. Third up, time for a story. What I always think about is, you know, students are moving around while singing. And so what I used to notice when I was teaching is it can be easy for them to develop some bad habits when it comes to pronunciation because they're, they're focusing on two different things at once. And so really be aware of the words in the pronunciation focus section of the teacher manual. And for example, a couple of those in this one are friends and please. So make sure as you sing at the beginning to enunciate clearly and then when they start becoming confident enough to sing with you, be listening into those, those things and be picking up on, on maybe where they're struggling or where they're doing really well. Another thing you can do to set yourself up for success besides just listening into them when they start singing is when you start modeling the actions and early exposures, don't over-exaggerate the actions that you're doing. Keep them relatively contained and simple so it's still fun for the students to do them, but they're not gesturing so wildly that it encourages them to pronounce things incorrectly. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about modeling the actions, specifically, we want to be careful with card three. So thinking about the language in this material and modeling it correctly for students in early exposures. The mentor text says, raise your hands and put them down. That's pretty self-explanatory. But the next line, raise your hands and now sit down, is a bit less obvious. So since the line after says to put your hands in your lap, when you sit down for the second line, your hands should still be in the air. It's a subtle difference, but if it's not done properly, students will be more confused by the language in the song because it won't make sense to them. Even being able to practice with another teacher in front of a mirror can also be helpful just to make sure what you're doing is, as, as you said, clear actions as well as just not going overboard. Exactly. Good. Next up, we say please. This is probably the most difficult material to teach in Unit 3. If we compare the expressions in this material to some of the expressions in other materials, it's a bit complex for the level our students are at, so it can help to sing the song a bit more slowly than it is heard on the audio files. You could even sing the song at a normal speed, but at the very least, you want to slow down on the lines that start with please or thank you. This will help students understand and acquire the language a lot more quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of times we can try to force them to understand something a little too much. But as you said, this can be very difficult to explain or even teach. And so sometimes rather than trying to make up a situation where maybe it's not going to be so clear or say every single time, what do we say when this happens? They might have trouble with some of that language still because it's early on. Think about situations that are happening throughout the day where you can use that. If you're with your students all day or if you're with them in the class where 
you know, maybe you have your pointer sitting down and you can point to it and then ask a student to grab it for you. Then they can bring it to you and say, thank you. And they can say, you're welcome. Use those opportunities to really help students start to use the language and become more confident in it. And when they get to use it in authentic ways, they'll learn it a lot faster. Exactly. Modeling goes a long way, not just with this material, but with all grapeseed things. So another example you can give is at the end of singing the song, you say, okay, Bobby, please open the door. So Bobby goes and opens the door. Bobby comes and sits back down and you say, Bobby, thank you for opening the door. You're using language directly in the correct verb tenses from this material to give students more exposure to how it's used. Then, of course, if your door is open, you want to ask Jenny next to then close the door and then thank her for closing the door, right? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Great. Last song for Unit 3, Let's Spin. Looking at the end exposure quick check, it asks if students can verbalize the actions used in the activity. And for me, I always look at this as a time to use them during transitions or even outside of a class if possible. And so with that, you can really take some of the language in there and add it into a situation that they're going on, like I said, outside the classroom or combine it with something in another component in this unit. And that'll help them to develop a deeper understanding and it'll lead to them being able to use the language more naturally. So for instance, one thing that students can often mix up is left and right, or maybe for them, you know, you might not use reach too much right naturally. So those are things to be aware of how you want to use those using left and right, maybe for a transition or for asking them to grab something for you with their left hand or the right hand. But then one that I really like to use was that come together where now that they know that you can use that to call students towards you. So maybe you did an action activity and you want them to come towards where you are, or maybe you're getting ready to do an action activity. So you, you just say, everybody, let's come together. And those are ways you can use it naturally that's going to help them really understand. And then hopefully by the end exposure, start using that language with their friends and with you. Excellent. In there, you touched on left and right. So one big concept with this material is you're asking your students to look and move to the left and to the right. So as the teacher, you'll want to mirror the directions for your students here as much as possible. If you have your back to your students, it's much harder to keep them focused and it's harder to just listen to them when they start verbalizing the activity as well. So face your students and mirror their lefts and their rights. For example, the first line is look to the right. So your students will be looking to the right. You should be looking to your left so everyone is doing the action in the same direction. Yes, and just adding on to one thing about this, this is a great idea. Also make sure your students are spaced appropriately to where everyone can see you easily as well. Um, we don't want them necessarily being too close together or one student right behind another where they can't see you in case you have to do multiple lines. Great point. And one more thing to touch on with this material is if you've taught Unit 3 before the current version of the curriculum, you'll notice that the song is a bit different, especially cards 3 and 5 here. So even if you're a longtime veteran of Grapeseed and you're teaching Unit 3 again, listen to the audio files, make sure you're practiced and up to date with the new version. Okay, that does it for songs. Let's move on to chants. The chant for Unit 3 is Yes, It Is. So this is the first chant students will have had in Grapeseed. So to help show that these are dialogues, it can help to bring in a puppet 
or a stuffed animal to take one of the parts. Another thing you can do if you maybe don't have a puppet or a stuffed animal you feel can accurately convey it. I know some teachers like to switch which side they're holding the cards based on a question or the answer. So it's showing like they're moving to one side for the question and then they'll move to the other side for the answer. Although you want to do this subtly so you don't distract the students by having too much movement. Done the right way, it can be really effective. But if you make it into this big elaborate dance where you pause too much in between each of the dialogue lines, it can be distracting and also affect the pacing of your lesson. So if you're going to do it, do it efficiently. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend if you have a teacher that you work with, maybe try, even if they're not a grapeseed teacher, just try doing it in front of them and see their reaction. They can tell what what kids are going to be focused in on or, or what's going to distract them. One small minor point to add here for how to point effectively with this material is that, for example, the line, this is a card. Teachers will say this is a card and then they'll point at the card on the word card. But if we think about the sentence, the sentence is saying this is a card. So you want to be pointing at the card at the beginning of that sentence when you say this, not waiting for the end when you say card. Oh, yes. I like that. Let's move on to the action activities for unit three. First up, count and shout. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this one. So again, this is one where they're going to be moving around a lot. So what I would recommend is having, if you can, have each page up on a whiteboard or hang them up some way to where they're all available to you as you're going around. This will allow you to be able to use it as a reference as you do each thing, as well as keep you hands-free. And the biggest part of that is just being if you have them one at a time, you'll have to, if you're moving around and you're holding them, it makes it difficult. Or if you're moving around and then you have to go back to the spot where they're at to flip the cards, it can become distracting. And since you're telling students to count and shout and move around, they might stop listening if you have to take time to run back and change things. Exactly. So you have to memorize the order of things. So remember that you start with touching your nose and then touching your toes and so on and so on. If we look at the name of this material, it's called Count and Shout. And getting to see a lot of classrooms, I've noticed a lot of counting, but not a lot of shouting. Of course, you don't want your students to be shouting to the point where it's distorting their pronunciation and they're not really speaking correctly and you're not able to assess it. So you want them to turn up their volumes enough to basically qualify as shouting, but not so much that it interferes with their learning objectives. Yeah, exactly. If you, you feel like you're starting to get a headache, that usually means it's too loud. Yeah. But if we're doing a material called Count and Shout and we're just speaking normally, then we're missing the point of half of the title. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I think even another thing to be aware of with this again is while students are practicing that, they're also practicing listening to and doing multiple commands at once. So if you think about that, you know, they're either hopping and counting to a number or they're doing something so many times. So with this, it, I think it really leads to some creative transition opportunities. But one thing to be careful of is mixing up your commands when you do transitions to the mat or to a corner or to chairs, because it's really easy for us once we find a couple we like or that we feel the students like to just keep doing those same ones over and over again. But we want to make sure that they're getting exposed to the different language and as well as just not getting bored by doing the same commands over and over. 
Good point. One last thing to touch on is a classroom management related point. Now, whether you're doing the lines from the material or you're doing a couple extra lines at the end of having students count to a certain number and do a certain action, be firm with how you do it. If you tell your students to count to seven and they keep counting to 10, that's not building a good culture in your classroom of encouraging students to listen to the teacher. So if you're noticing that students are going over, you can consider having them sit down and have to watch while the rest of the classmates are enjoying the activity and doing it. Or you can look to find students that are stopping on the correct number and praise them and really give them a lot of positive attention. The second action activity for unit three is give it to a friend. Now with this action activity, you'll really want to follow your lesson plans. If not done in a controlled manner, this action activity can easily get out of hand. So for the best results, you'll wanna use objects that are small and easily controllable. So something like a rubber eraser is a great option. While something like a ball can encourage students to throw the object instead of following directions. So because you're trying to do a lot of different things, holding it over your head or putting it in different places, you want to have something that can stay in a stationary position like a rubber eraser that won't roll around when you put it on something. Yeah, that's a really good idea to make sure when they're practicing giving it to a friend or doing the different commands that it's not something that's going to distract them. And really, as you said, part of that is you know, the classroom management side of it. But also, this material is a little complicated and it can be difficult to control your class if you're not well prepared. And so, yes, you want to follow the lesson plans. But even more than that, you have a lot to consider when getting into this activity. For instance, will all the students use an object? Or will you have them pair up and each pair will have one object? Will you sit in a circle? Will you have them sit in lines facing you or stand in lines? Then what will you do if a student is struggling? You know, if, if it's with a certain action, are you going to repeat it? Are you going to make everyone do it? Are you going to slow down for them? There's so many different things that can happen that we need to be prepared for. And then again, we want to be able to help all our students follow along well without getting off track because that's going to affect our pacing. And I think this component especially is one where it's really easy to see the amount of time you're hoping to spend on the component become doubled that or even tripled because a couple things got out of control or you weren't ready for something. And so that's why it's really important for this one to have everything prepared, ready to go, know where your objects are if you're using erasers, where you're gonna keep them so that students don't try to mess with them before you start the component, all those different things. Absolutely, so you'll wanna first look at your lesson plan, see what the instructions are for that day, and then think about how you're gonna most effectively execute those directions based on your own classroom setup, your own classroom space, and what objects you have available. Mm -hmm. Couple more small points to hit on here. Mirroring left and right, just like with let spin, is really important here. Obviously, put it in your left hand, put it in your right hand, put it back in your left hand. You want to be mirroring this for your students as you're doing this along with them, just so they know which way it goes. And finally, if we're listening to the audio file or watching the video file for this material, there's a very strong beat that can kind of get into your head. So as you're telling this action activity, you'll want to say this in a natural voice as much as possible and avoid putting that rhythm into your classroom. 
Before we jump into the poems, let's look at the phonograms we are teaching in Unit 3. It's phonics fun time! In this unit, we have four phonograms, C, X, N, and E. With the consonants, isolate them as much as possible by not adding vowel sounds to the end of them. For example, we teach two sounds for C, K and S. The sounds are not K and S. X has one sound, X. N has one sound, N. E has two sounds, E and E. When teaching the C and E phonograms, make sure you hold up two fingers when you say the second sound, while you're air writing. Now that we have our phonograms down, let's jump back into the poems. Here we have crayons are fun. Really be thinking about the sounds that C makes. And so we know that one of those is similar to what they learned in unit one, which is K makes a K sound as well. So there are times in the lesson plans where we're going to be asked to find the k sound. If a student finds this k sound in the word like, how are we going to respond to them? How are we going to help them understand that, well, yes, that is a k sound. It's not the one we're looking for. And so these are things we're going to want to be aware of. And you'll see that as we get to other poems as well, that, you know, some letters have similar sounds. And so how are we going to help students really become more aware of the sounds that they're hearing and how they can be multiple letters and then helping them to start see when and where they'll put those letters in. Yeah, if they make that connection, especially in the case you mentioned with the K sound and then the first sound of C being the same thing, if they make that connection, they're right. So we want to praise them for it. But we want to say after that, oh, wow, you found a K sound, but this is the letter K. Let's look for the letter C that makes the K sound and then redirect them with that instruction. So you're praising them because they are technically right in this case, but they're not necessarily going for our learning objective. So we want to redirect them to set them up for success in that vein. Yeah, that's actually a really good point too of praising them for hearing something correctly because it can be really easy when we have our own ideas of how we want them to respond. If they do do the K and K and you're like, oh no, no, that's not it. And then they think, oh, I guess that doesn't make that sound anymore. Exactly. So. So if they're right, they're right. So you'll have to redirect them and use different instructions as opposed to discouraging them and by proxy teaching them the wrong thing on accident. If we look at the language in this material, we have the phrase one by one. Now this can be a little tricky for students to understand. So modeling it with markers on the whiteboard is a really simple way to convey the meaning here. So you can say something like, see boys and girls, we use markers one by one as you draw a line with one marker and then the other. We don't use them two by two as you hold two markers in your hand at once and start drawing lines because your students will look at that and they'll know that that's funny. So they'll understand the concept of one by one just by that little demonstration. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's something I think it's very easy and, and quick to do. So you can really add to that and to their experience as they start doing this poem by just mm. doing a quick demonstration rather than trying to explain what one by one is. Mm. Um, that's a, a really simple one. I like that idea. Another thing to be thinking about is how are they doing with the previous phonogram? So we know that, yeah, they're only in unit three, but these poems are actually reviewing some of the sounds and letters that they've learned in the first two. So are they able to apply the knowledge and ability they've learned from the previous two units in this poem, 
or do they need to review some of those sounds and letters? And of course, that's built into the lesson plan, but there also might be times where if you notice a lot of your students are struggling with one of those sounds or making the same mistake, it'll be good to bring it up there, even though it's not expressly written in the lesson plan to do so. Yeah, if we just look at this poem specifically, we have both sounds of U that we taught in unit two. We have the F sound that we taught in unit one and the L sound that we taught in unit two. Also B, there's a lot of review phonograms we can look at here if we're really going to target that. All right, next up, my toy box. We want to follow the lesson plans and we want to kind of make sure students understand this poem, but we don't want to spend too much time every lesson trying to help them understand things or using props or doing activities with them because as I mentioned before with action activities, poems are another place where we can tend to overextend when we're teaching different things. And for this poem, the main objective is that they know the letter X and the sound that it makes, which is X. And so if they have that down and we have some extra time, you know, we can try doing a few things to help them you know, better understand the poem. But for the most part, we still want to stay focused when we get to this poem. Solid point. Poems are a place that can become a time sink in your class. So always trying to save a little bit of extra time. Where can you shave off a couple seconds in your approach? What can you do to help better your pacing as you self-reflect on your lessons to be more set up for success in future exposures is always a good thing to do. Now, if you do have that extra time, the concept of it holds can be another difficult concept, just like one by one in crayons are fun. So with this, you can demonstrate meaning with bags or other boxes, talking about what they hold, using vocabulary students know. Now, of course, to help make your pacing go very smoothly, you'll want to prepare these boxes or bags and fill them with things before class. So when it's time to talk about this poem, you can quickly bring it out model the language being used and then put it away and move on. That's a great point, having all of that prepared. And of course, we'll have props that we've been bringing in the previous two units for them to, that they know now. And so you can kind of put those in the box as well to show them what your toy box holds. And like you said, there are going to be times where you do have time. So when you have that time, this is a great way to engage your students and bring the language to life. Perfect. But like with all shared reading poems, the main target here is on the text, getting across knowledge of the phonogram and concepts of print. Bingo. Bingo. Okay, last poem. Yes, no. Now, just like Jake mentioned earlier on in Crayons Are Fun with the K versus the C phonogram, when we're looking at this one specifically, since E is the big focus phonogram for this poem, Silent E's and E's that appear in multi-letter phonograms, which we teach later, are to be avoided as you look for the E sounds in this poem. For example, asked, the, and snake all have E's that don't make the sounds we teach for the single letter E phonogram. When you point out the E sounds in early exposures, avoid pointing out these words so your students aren't confused. But if your students try to point them out when it's their turn to start pointing out the phonograms, it can be a good opportunity to say the sounds of E and ask students if they hear those sounds in the wrong words. We want to start incorporating that first sound versus second sound, that language into our directions when we're asking students to find things. So boys and girls, let's find the first sound of E. Let's look for it in the poem, giving them specific instructions like you directed, but even using those phrases, first sound, second sound, 
because in unit three and unit two that we just taught, the maximum number of sounds we're teaching for a single letter phonogram is only two. But in unit four, we introduce the O phonogram, which has four sounds associated with it. So if you start building up their students' vocabulary of finding the first sound versus the second sound, when you start adding in the third and the fourth sound in unit four and later units, they'll understand it easier and they'll be more set up for success. Yes, exactly. And, and then again with yes, no, thinking about the, what this poem's talking about, right? Can an elephant crawl? Do you really know the answer? And are you willing to go on record and give your students a definitive answer? These are all questions you must come to terms with before you can even start teaching this component. Yeah, the very deep philosophical question <laughs> of if elephants can crawl or not. It's a good point. We're joking, but it's a good point that ties into your comment that you made about my toy box, where the focus of these is on the text, on concepts of print, on phonological awareness. If we can quickly convey the concept and the language in the material, great. We want to do that as well. But in this particular one, can an elephant crawl? What constitutes crawling? Some students might think elephants can, some think that they might not be able to, but they definitely don't have the vocabulary to really debate amongst each other yet. So in this particular example, it's probably best to follow the directions of your lesson plans and stick to just targeting the E and the N phonograms here and not worry too much about the language in the material unless otherwise directed. Wise words. That will do it for poems, so let's move on to big books. First up, Black. Yes, if we remember from the previous unit, one of the big books there was two. And so in that, it talks about having two of many things. And so the reason I bring this up is because we can use that language here as students get more confident with what this big book is about, which is knowing the color black. And so as students move from answering question about if the chair is black by just saying black, or maybe you say, what is black? And they can say chair. They start moving to the chair is black. Then we can start helping them apply it to other things. And it could be in the classroom or just things they have. So if we remember for the, I have many things, you can then pull it back to, I have a black shirt or I have black shoes. Now, not all students are going to be at this level when you want to do it. So it's definitely going to help to model these things earlier on. And so they can get the feel of how to use this language and start to really understand it all. But one benefit of doing this is going to be that they'll start to see that what they learn from two, the big book two, and what they learn from this big book black, they're not just individualized parts, but they all fit together to form authentic communication. Exactly. Great point. So this particular material is a really good reminder of why we should be checking our teacher manual to look at the quick checks and the learning objectives. If we're just looking at the text in the material itself, we have the mentor text saying black is the color of many things, black is the color of many things. So your first reaction might be to think that our goal here is black is the color of blah, blah, blah. And that's the sentence that we're targeting. But if you look at the end exposure quick checks here, what we want students to answer with is the hair is black or the chairs are black. So we're not necessarily following the exact expression in the text. We're more linking this with colors everywhere as opposed to the actual mentor text in black. So if you're setting your students up for success, if you're asking those questions on those extra poster cards, you're modeling in early exposures, the full sentence answer, 
your students can make that transition here in black because of what you've been doing in Colors Everywhere. Oh, I really like that point of connecting it to Colors Everywhere and the, the language there because, as you said, even though the mentor text is black is the color of many things, I think if we were talking to each other and you told me, you know, black is the color of my shirt, I would think something maybe happened to you. Um, I'd be a little worried about why you're talking that way. Yeah, I'm not going to go home and write some sonnets in my Victorian era. We're going to try to use normal speech as much as possible, normal current speech. All right, next big book, three. I know it's probably hard to figure out what the focus is, but of course, that's on the number three. But also being able to distinguish the amount of things by color, right? So for the birds, right? We know there's two different colored birds, and so they're going to be able to say that as well. But there's even more I think we can do with this because we can use language from a component we talked about earlier. And I'll get into that in just one second. So this is one of those times where you can show how to naturally use please and even thank you. So if we remember before we said that's a really difficult concept sometimes to teach, but this is one right in the in three where please, oh, please come flying down. One thing you can do is if you have it, you can kind of show it with by moving the big book of birds flying down. And you can say, oh, thank you. Or for other opportunities where you can say, please do this, as Adam mentioned before about opening or closing the door. And then after they do, say thank you. One other thing I like to do is for transitions is to ask them to do something for the transition. So I'll say, please do this. And then when they go to, once they get to the mat or to the chairs, I can say, oh, thank you. Or thank you so much for that. And that just, again, is reinforcing the idea of what they learned in another component in this current unit, as well as some of the things that they're learning within this component as well. Yeah, so many ideas there. And this material, it seems so simple on the surface, but there's so many things you can do with it. Not only the things you were talking about there, Jake, but one of my favorite extra time activities relates to this material. So a lot of classrooms, especially if you teach in a kindergarten, they have blocks in the classroom. So what you can do really simply here is grab a few blocks of different colors. You can put three out in front of students and ask students what they see, modeling the answer yourself as necessary. The ideal target here is something like, I see three blocks on the floor, then you ask what color the blocks are, shooting for one is blue and two are red or whatever colors those blocks are. Now, the great thing about this activity is that the difficulty of it is scalable. So students get confident with just three blocks on the floor and what color they are. You can switch the colors of the blocks, the number of blocks, and even where the blocks are. So you can get to something like in later exposures, I see four blocks on the chair, two are red and two are blue or something like that. So it's, it's a small extra time activity. If you finish your lesson plan, you have a couple extra minutes. You can do this over multiple exposures when you have that extra time and increase the difficulty getting students using that language in more complex ways in a natural setting. Yeah, that is awesome. I really like that idea too. And this is going to bring me to a point that doesn't necessarily have to do with three per se, but just I would definitely encourage all of you to use you know, the online resources as much as you can for if there's ever a video that you can find of a teacher teaching and we're always adding more to be looking for those because 
not all of us are able to just talk to our teachers or see even be able to see our co-teachers teaching their lessons. So being able to get ideas from other teachers like that, I think is a great opportunity for us to improve our own teaching and bring that language to life even more. Yeah, good point. And if you feel like you want to show off a little bit, talk to your coach about how you might be able to send in a video and get it on the portal. That does it for big books. So let's move on to stories. The first story we have here is Marvin goes to school. There are a lot of prepositions here like in and on in this story that students were exposed to way back in unit one. So be really clear with your gestures for them as you tell the story. Try to be consistent with them to help them understand the story more quickly. There's a lot of text here, but if you can use similar gestures to the same ones that you use to introduce the words that students already know, it'll help them understand this material much more quickly. Another thing I always think about is oftentimes as teachers, we want to see how well students remember the story. So we might not show the cards or maybe we hide them and we ask a question. However, I want to encourage you to have those cards ready, especially for things like in the lesson plan when it asks you, what do the boys and girls do with Marvin? So that's setting it up for them to have a, a lot of different answers. So what we want to do is set up the cards at that point in a way that our students can see multiple cards and have different things that the boys and girls are doing with Marvin available to them. Because our main goal here, of course, is that students can use the language naturally. And so if they can look and see a slide or a jungle gym and say it in English rather than their home language, they're already doing a great job because they're seeing that thing and they're thinking about it in English and they're speaking about it in English rather than just trying to make them come up with things they might remember in the story afterwards. Great point. Questions that we're asking after telling a story or doing any grapeseed material, it's not a test of our students' memory because in the end, it doesn't matter that the students climbed with Marvin on the jungle gym and they rode on the merry-go-round with him. That stuff doesn't matter. What matters is, do your students understand the language? Can they output that language themselves? And we want to set them up to be successful to do that. So hiding the picture card, it doesn't help them because there are no prompts for them to remember the words, remember the sentence, and say it on their own. It's just, hey, do you remember this picture and this one little minor comprehension point? And that's not what we're going for. Next story, we love school. Yeah, there's a few different things I want to talk about with this one. One of them is idea of love versus like. Don't worry about that. You know, these are still four and five-year-olds. So even in their native language, they're not going to have much of an idea about the difference between love or like, or even much of an opinion on that as well. So, you know, mainly we want our students to understand that the, the kids enjoy doing these things. And so I wouldn't be too worried about trying to show differences of love and like for, for these young students. Yes, definitely. Another thing to keep in mind is that when you're singing at the end of this story, you'll want to slow down a bit in early exposures on the line we work and laugh and play. At the speed on the audio file, it can be tricky for students to clearly hear these words individually. So slowing it down will help out a lot. And speaking of that part and slowing it down, you mentioned at the beginning, we work. And so this story uses a lot of we. And with that, we want to be prepared to model and assist students when using we when appropriate. And, you know, we're asking some of those questions where they're going to possibly have a chance to use we when they answer. And so 
they might not be able to do it at first, but one thing you can do is find time to include yourself in their answer. The students had this back in unit one with the friends poem, we are friends, we play and run. So if you really conveyed the meaning well there, then they should be able to understand this pretty well. Moving on, let's go to I like these things. With this one, again, it's talking a lot about different things you have at school. So having pictures or props available will really help students when thinking about things they like at school or things they like to do. Nice. So in some of the other podcasts, we've talked about adding to the language you can use for better classroom management. We talked about this a lot in the Unit 1 podcast. So here you can start using is a good thing to do or is a bad thing to do throughout your classes once students start getting exposed to it in this story to help show them what you want them to do in the classroom or what you don't want them to do. Make sure you give some examples of what good things they can do are as well as bad ones because we want to be encouraging positive behavior and not just correcting negative behavior. Ooh, that, is a, that is a good point. I, I really like that, being able to use the language they're learning to not only help them understand it more through their own actions, but also help just with managing the classroom better. Mm. One small thing to note is card 10 can be a little tricky to point accurately at unless you've practiced like we always recommend. So really get down where the crayons and pencils and markers are that Marvin's holding. It can be hard to tell in the heat of the moment. So make sure you practiced enough to be comfortable with it. Great. Next story, our day at school. You know, with this one, Adam mentioned earlier for Marvin Goes to School that there are a lot of prepositions, but also in our day at school, you'll see that as well. So I think this is a really good time to practice. And you probably notice that in some of these early units, there's a lot of components that use prepositions. And one, if you remember in unit one, Mouse and Barn, that is pretty much only prepositions. So I think that's one thing that you can do, and I think there's really fun activities that you can involve if you have extra time or maybe before or after class. And I think Adam might have, have one in mind right now. <laughs> yeah, one of those ideas is if you have that extra time to do a quick scavenger hunt for an object you have hidden somewhere in the class. This will be fun for the students while you also help demonstrate the meaning of the language and the material. So you can ask one student at a time to look in a few different places while the others watch, ending with an object being found after a couple example sentences. Then at the end there, you can talk about what you found as this language is in here too. So boys and girls, what did we find? We found a pencil in the trash. Exactly. That's just a really fun activity that gets them to use the language from the story. But you might also be thinking, well, what if I don't always have that time available? Mm. Or I, I can't gather my students before or after class because they need to run off to another class. There's other things we can do as well. And so, for instance, a simple one can be during a transition, you can ask them to hop to the mat and then say, oh, where did you hop? And then they can say to the mat. It's, it's one simple thing. Great. Nice idea. For this one as well, we've talked about practicing our gestures or making sure we're aware of certain cards because they can be difficult to point to. But I think especially for our day at school, there's a lot of different things going on on each card. And so if we look at it, even at the beginning, it's talking about we only have erasers, we want to make a book, and we need some other things. We help us go and look and then it goes over them. But then as it goes, you start talking about where you looked or where you didn't find them. 
how you're going to look some more. So being ready to know which things you're going to point to or maybe which things you need to use a gesture for because that's going to be a way to express it more clearly. So looking through those cards and knowing those things that will really help you to tell this story more effectively without just trying to read it right off the card and sounding a little monotone and boring. Yeah, solid point. So if we're looking at the mentor text here, where do we want to point and where do we want to use gestures? So if you look at card three, we looked in the trash. So you want to be pointing in the trash. That will be the most simple way to convey that concept. Or we looked out the door as you're pointing kind of out the door on the teaching card. Or if you have a door nearby in your classroom, you're pointing at that. But when we get to something like card six and we looked around the school, we walked, we skipped, and we ran. You can't really point for walked, skipped, and ran. So you're going to want to use gestures there instead. So as you're practicing this unit before you start to teach it, think through each of the cards, each of the lines, even each of the sentences, and decide what you think is the best way to convey the meaning, whether it's gestures, pointing, props, or using a facial expression. And that brings us to the Johnny Bear story for Unit 3. Johnny Bear helps his mother. Yes, and I know we mentioned this earlier on about when you're teaching black, you can relate it to colors everywhere. I think for this one, if you have time, and you know, in the, in the lesson plan, there'll be, be some time to ask a few questions like this. But even if not, if you can find some extra time to do this, you have the different clothes being you know, hung up. And so being able to point to that and ask the students what they see, they not only get a practice with the I see, you know, as before blue pants, let's say blue in the color, but they're recalling language from the previous unit about pants or other articles of clothing. And so this is a really great opportunity to review that language while simultaneously applying what they're currently learning just all together. One more thing I want to add on to all of this is just another thing to be aware of when we teach the Johnny Bear stories is that, yes, they're a review, but at the same time, it's a review of the language they've been learning. So we shouldn't expect or force students to be able to say the whole story from the beginning or even sometimes at the end, because that's not going to be the main focus of this story. I know for a lot of us, we want students to be able to say it, and that's great, but we don't want that to become our main focus because this can lead to students losing confidence or just causing this story to take too much time up, resulting in us missing other components or some students becoming bored. Yes, all the Johnny Bear stories are a complete compilation of the vocabulary and the expressions we're teaching in the entire previous unit. So if we compare them to a normal story, let's say Marvin goes to school here in unit three, there are specific expressions and vocabulary that we're teaching in that one. So the length of that material isn't as long as a Johnny Bear story because we're teaching everything that we taught in the last unit. So your students really aren't going to get to the point where they're able to recite the entire material from memory unless they're really excited about doing their REP every single day. So we don't want to expect them to get to that stage with this material. We want them to be confident that they understand this going into this new unit and just to have a nice review of all the language and expressions that they've learned. Okay, well, that will do it for unit three. Thanks again for joining the podcast, Jake. Thanks for having me. I was really happy to be able to come on and talk about unit three. It's a really fun one. Yeah, I like it a lot too. 
As always, thank you for listening and good luck in the classroom. Hey everyone, do you have a question about grapeseed that you would like answered on this podcast? We will do some occasional mail carrier episodes where we answer your questions, so feel free to write in. You can email the show at mailcarrier at grapeseed.com. M-A-I-L-C-A-R-R-I-E-R at grapeseed.com. Keep in mind that we may not be able to answer everyone's questions on the podcast, but if you leave your contact info, including your country, we will make sure to get back to you, whether it is on the podcast or in a follow-up email. We look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. I'm sad to say goodbye. It was a good day, but now I will say goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.